Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it's time to get you ready for week three in college football. We've got a bunch of people here to help me do that. Four guests, once again, here on today's show. We're going to start things off with Mr. Relevant, where we've got Chad Reuter, one of the key faces behind the scenes with NFL media and their draft coverage, both on TV and across all of their digital platforms. One of the best football researchers in the business. He just put out a brand new list of the top 25 seniors in the country. We're going to break it down with him right at the top of the show. After that, we're going to transition to scouting report where Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl stops by to break down an intriguing safety in this senior class. We've talked a lot about how this senior this safety class in general has a bunch of intriguing names. We're going to hit on one of them here in this episode. After that, we're going to start previewing week three here in college football. Saturday scouting, we're going to look here with Ben Fennel at matchups, players who can help themselves the most. And we've got a new mock draft from PFF, Pro Football Focus. Mike Renner put out a new mock draft in the last week. So we're going to break that down. And then we're going to wrap things up with pick six. Ross Tucker and I previewing six games for this weekend as our weekly competition uh, wages on. I overtook Ross, a little bit of a teaser there, uh, this past week in college football. That being said, before we get into today's action, as always, the best way to throw us your support, go on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review, make sure you subscribe. If you've got a question about a prospect, if you've got a mock draft for us to review, if you've got rankings you want us to break down, Go on, leave it in the comment section. We'll break it down in our draft mailbag segment each and every week right here on the show. That said, let's get things going here. Excited to start things off with Mr. Relevant and Chad Reuter. It's time for Mr. Relevant. All right, so like I said earlier, excited to welcome in this week for Mr. Relevant, Chad Reuter, researcher at NFL Media, NFL.com. He just dropped an article over on NFL.com, the top 25 seniors in the country here in college football. Chad, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks, Rand. Appreciate you having me on. So you can follow Chad's work on Twitter at Chad underscore writer. And Chad, let's get into this, man. I mean, you put out before the season, right after the senior bowl, dropped their watch list with, uh, you know, what was it, like 780 players. <laughs> it was they dropped <laughs> a bunch of guys uh, on that list. Uh, you put out a top 25 and you recently updated that list on Thursday. Uh, the newest version went out. So I wanted to talk to you about that. And first up, when you look at this list today and the list that you dropped back in August, who has climbed the most? Who who has risen the most in your eyes uh, in version two of the list? Well, you know, it's interesting, friend. Um, as you know, when people follow me on Twitter know, I like spam people with little clips on a bunch of players coming into the year. I did about 280 of them called Snap Scout Series. And so most of the guys on this list I had seen already or whatever. So um, most of the risers, I think, are guys that either missed 2020 because of COVID or gotten a new situation mm. um, or, 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 you know, this year, for example, Jermaine Johnson from Florida state, he's going to play as many snaps in the first three games in this year, as he played all year last year at Georgia. Wow. And so you don't really, you know, you, you saw guys, he's obviously talented. He's at Georgia, whatever, but now at Florida state, they're putting him with his hand on the ground and standing up. They're using him all They're playing him all the time. And he's playing great against the run and rushing the passer. He's all over the place. So that's the kind of guy that, yeah, I knew he had talent, but until you see him on the field, you know, the, you, 
I didn't want to, you know, put too much until I actually saw what he looked like as a full-time player. Um, Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. Everybody saw the film where he's throwing around guys at the FCS level like a rag doll. Um, he's got the size and athleticism. But I wanted to see him against North uh, against Iowa State. Uh, and he was really good. Will McDonald couldn't do anything against him, really. Um, and, and, you know, and uh, the thing with Penning, though, is interesting. Ioma Iwazike, the defensive end, who's like 300 pounds for Iowa State, right. gets into his pads, shoves him back. So, you know, that's one thing that Penning and similar guys like that, Jason Spriggs, Brian O'Neill, some of these guys that are taller, don't have a big bubble, you know, to, to anchor. That's the thing you got to kind of watch with these guys. And, and so that was interesting that Ioma Iwazike – um, showed that that's something he still has to work. On. So this is interesting with Penning. Uh, uh, Daniel Fa'alele from yep. Minnesota is another guy who didn't play last year. He slimmed down, quote, slimmed down from <laughs> 400 pounds to 380 pounds, but he looks good. He showed enough, and he you know he's got some more chances this year. Kennedy Brooks didn't play mm. last year for Oklahoma, but he's looked good at running back. He's one of these guys that you know is going to be a really solid pro. And then another guy, Chad Muma from Wyoming. Um, you know, usually there's a guy out in the mountain West who's a linebacker who plays really hard. This guy can run though. And, and I saw it last year and I'm like, Oh, is this going to be kind of a Logan Wilson kind of guy? And so far this year, he's been all over the place. Um, so he's a guy that's really stepped up as I thought he might. So I know that when you do lists like this, whether it's like a top 25 list, if it's a mock draft, you know, you, as soon as you hit send, you send it along to the editor. You look back at it, you're like, oh, man, I, I should be higher on this guy. Or I bet you in a couple of months, uh, you know, I'm going to be second guess. I'm going to be kicking myself that I was a little bit lower on this guy. Do you feel like if you forecast, if you look at your list right now, you're like, oh, man, like this could be a guy that we're talking about rising up uh, here a little bit coming in the in the coming months? Well, I do. Um, but the thing is, is on these lists, like the difference between guy number 11 and guy number 18 is actually pretty minimal. You know, sure. I mean, it's a really similar thing. So um, one guy that I, I want to see what happens with him this year and the way that Florida uses him is Zachary Carter. Um, there are some plays where he, you could see him becoming like a cam Jordan type guy on the yeah. edge. Um, and then they move him around, they put him inside and stuff like that. So it's harder to tell, you know, if that's what he could become. Um, but there are other plays where they just let him go after the passer. They put him one-on-one -on, -one on a guy and he holds the edge. So he's a guy that I'm going to watch to see if, you know, how he kind of goes through the season to see if he can get into that upper echelon. But, but really most of the guy, the, the biggest problem I have is how far do you go down on these lists? Right. I mean, it's like, where do you cut, where do you make the cutoff? You know, the Senior Bowl had 525 guys, I think. The, the watch list had 525 guys on it. You could go to 900 on that list, really. Um, but, but you know, what do you do with guys like um, Zion Johnson from BC and Alec Lindstrom? They have a couple of really good uh, offensive, uh, interior offensive linemen that could be on the list. Kobe Bryant, cornerback from Cincinnati, could be on the list. Uh, Arizona State, Rashad White, the running back, could be on the list. Uh, Dante Demas from Maryland wide receiver, really talented, could be on. So it's really trying to just make it so I'm not making this thing 100 players long. Um, those are the decisions that, you know, I'll probably be like, oh, I should have included him or, or mm. whatever. But that's where it's really difficult.
Sure. Well, let me ask you this question. Uh, and I love when we ever, whenever we have guests on, it's like, all right, I want to get who they feel most passionate about. Who are you bullish on? Uh, a guy that you're higher on when you look around the landscape from a media standpoint, say, man, like, why isn't there more buzz about this guy or that guy? You know, it's interesting. I, I really try to stay away from that as much as possible because I mean, letting others influence my thoughts on players, because what I've learned over the years, is really, you have to trust your, you have to listen to your eyes, which sounds weird to anybody else, but people who scout players know what I'm talking about. Right. I mean, you, you really have to do that. But I think um, from what I've seen or whatever heard, uh, I like Nick Ford from Utah and maybe other people like him, but I really like that guy. I, I think he is, he's an Elgin Jenkins kind of player. Ooh, okay. uh, I think you can play him at tackle. You can play him at guard. You can, he's been really good at center uh, for Utah. And I think he's, he's going to be that, you know, six, five, 320 pound guy that they can play all over the place. I really like him. Um, another guy that a lot of people, you know, central Michigan, not big on the ratings, right? But Bernard Raymond, their left tackle, um, Austrian guy. He's he's really a fascinating, fascinating prospect. And I and I see a lot of um, one of these guys that comes out of nowhere and really goes high in the draft. He's super athletic. He plays with a nasty attitude. You know, I'm not going to say he's going to be Joe Staley. You know, coming out of Central Michigan, but you know, like the Sebastian Vollmer who came from Germany and kind of went up the ranks and people started finding out about him. He could be that kind of guy this year. So that's just a couple of, and I'm look, I'm a big dude. I like offensive linemen. So, you know, I, I always try to, um, I always try to, you know, pump those guys up as much as possible. Sure. And I'm glad you brought up Nick Ford because I don't know that we've talked about him yet on this show. Um, so I'm glad you brought him up, a guy that's standing out out West. I, I wanted to follow up a couple guys that um, I know they're in like that. I think if they're in like 15 and 18 or somewhere in that range, they're in that like 10 to 20 range for you that I, I love Washington mm-hmm. tight end Kate Otten. And Ohio yep. State defensive tackle Haskell Garrett, but it's like you know the you you have players that you love. Where you're like, yeah, well, I, just because I say I love him doesn't mean I think that he's going to go in the top forty. But I just like right. love these players, and th- those are two guys that um, I would love to just ask about because when I watch them on film, I'm like, yeah, like this guy is going to play in the NFL and play meaningful snaps. Yeah, and and I and I agree with you on both guys. It's it's interesting with Otten because coming in, you know, when I started my um, review in May, um, of, of this draft class, you look at Otten, you look at Jake Ferguson out of Wisconsin. Um, you, you know, there's a, some other guys in there that are in that, in that, you know, top 100 kind of category at tight end. And when you look at Otten, he's pretty clearly the number one guy to me. And it's just really an, even Charlie Kolar from, from Iowa state. Yep. He's clearly the number one guy because he gives you athleticism and he's not afraid to block either. And, and that kind of all-around game is really nice. He could be a late first-round pick. But, you know, I think the way tight ends are going, if he's not elite in his speed, which I don't think he is, if he's not elite yep. in his athletic, then he's going to end up being that second-round pick. And, and I think he's going to be really good. Yep. Um, so in terms of, like, where he matches up against other positions, he may not be in my top 10 as far as seniors go, but I really like him. I think he's the top guy pretty clearly. Um, and Washington, if they could figure out their offense, um, he's going to really blow it up this year. And right now, unfortunately, he's it for their yeah, offense. Right. So they're, you know, defenses are doubling them. Uh, they're, they're really all over them. So they really have to scheme up. Um, their team to, to get him the ball more often. And, and um, 
So yeah, I really commend and Haskell Garrett, you know, he's really a guy that does everything well. He's not elite in any one category, I don't Just think. Check checking boxes. Every, right. And I so I think he's one of these guys that, you know, is not he's not Errol Donald as a pass rusher, but the quarterback's gonna know he's there. Um and and he's great at using overarm moves and using his hands to get free. And so there's a lot to like about that guy. You know, it's interesting that guys like that, we've seen like Neville Gallimore fall into the third round. You see a lot of guys like Haskell fall into the third round or late in the second round because teams, if they're not super long, if they're not super huge, if they're not huge, if they're not going to attack the quarterback, um, they just kind of fall down the, 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 the realm a little bit. So again, no matter where I have him in the list, I really like him as a player and, and I think he's going to be a very good pro. Last question I've got for you here, Chad. Uh, you've got Malik Willis as the number one prospect. He was the number one senior uh, on this list. He was the number one senior back for in the summer for you. How do you feel like he stacks up against the juniors at this position? Do you feel like he's going to be in that mix uh, when we're talking, you know, the number one pick, top three pick, top five pick when it's all said and done? I think so. I think yeah. so. Because he's um, – you know, he has his strengths and weaknesses like the rest of the guy. Everybody's overreacting to, you of know, course. guys play in week, week <laughs> one or two. Um, but, you know, he he's, uh, you know, he, people are going to compare him to Mike Vick and Lamar Jackson. And he that's not his running style, um, but he's a very strong runner. He He's kind of like, he, I was watching him last year and I'm like, you know, he kind of runs like James Conner. <laughs> And, uh, you know, if you have a quarterback that can run like James Conner and then make some of the throws he does, he's not elite in his accuracy. He, uh, when he's going outside the hashes, ball will sail on him, just like many other quarterbacks, um, Trevor Lawrence included. So, you know, there's things he needs to work on. His feet were a little more quiet this year in the pocket um, in the opener against Louisville, which was nice to see. Uh, he's been working on stuff. Quarterback coaches will work with these guys on some of this. But in terms of his running ability, his avail- his, avail- his ability to elude defenders in the backfield that are coming after him is great. And that's really an important part in today's game. So I really like his game. I think he'll be up there with Rattler and Howell and Strong and all the rest of these guys. Mm. Um, but I have to tell you that the, the difference between Aiden Hutchinson could have been my number one guy this, right. this week. I yep. mean, he really could have been. I, I really thought about that. And if things continue the way they're going, that just might happen because Hutchinson's been really good. The first quarter against Western Michigan kind of feeling himself a little bit with the leg injury. But, you know, last week he was unstoppable. And, um, you know, he's he could end up taking that number one number one spot. You feel like that buzz is like continuing to build around Aiden Hutchinson, where he could be like I know, but right now, uh, and again, we're talking like media buzz. Yeah, he's being talked about back end of round one. I feel like it's just gonna be like, well, this guy just like keeps making plays. He keeps dominating every yeah. single week. Like, when are we gonna start talking about him in the top twelve, top ten, top eight of this draft? Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And you know what's gonna happen? He reminds me of of JJ Watt at Wisconsin, where people don't necessarily know where to put him because he's so big and they don't understand how athletic he is. Yep. And I think as the process goes along, 
He's going to show that athleticism and that versatility, and he's going to be right in that top 15. Now, I'm not saying he's going to have a J.J. Watt NFL career. By the way, people didn't think J.J. Watt was going to have that career when he went into the league. But, I mean, that's the kind of story, the kind of um, player or the kind of guy that I think he could become where he goes from versatile, just like, you know what, he's a playmaker. We can put him a lot of places. He's really good. So I I think he's definitely in in the top half of the first round. Chad, this has been awesome. Always great to catch up with you and kind of pick your brain on some of these top prospects. Everybody, make sure you go check out the article, the top 25 seniors around college football. Chad, we'll talk to you again soon right here on the Journey the Draft podcast. Thanks, friend. Appreciate it. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, well, back once again for our scouting report is uh, Eric Alco, who has been now, this is three weeks running, Eric. Uh, we're back on the show. Really appreciate it. Joining us here um, from the East-West Shrine Bowl. Yeah, man, it's been it's been a good start of college football. Upsets, a lot of great players emerging, so it's been a fun start of college season for sure, man. Yeah, and one of those teams that I think has caught a lot of people's eye out west, <laughs> uh, the UCLA Bruins, uh, off to a nice start uh, under Chip Kelly out there, and that defense has really made a lot of headlines, and, and there are guys at all three levels that I think people have their eye on, and I want to ask you about a safety, a transfer, who got there uh, over the course of the last couple of years, Quantrez Knight. I want to get your thoughts here on, on a player that I have not studied, but I've heard a little bit of buzz about, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on what he can bring to the next level. Yeah, it's incredible, too. You think of a Chip Kelly team, and obviously, you know, a Chip Kelly team's pretty well known for their offense. And the offense is very good for UCLA, but it was the defense that that beat LSU comfortably and, and I think is on track to be one of the best teams in the Pac-12. And really, their leader on defense is Quantrez Knight. He's been a leader the last two years. Um, he's a key part of their defense, a chess player. I think he's going to emerge as one of the best hybrid safety, nickel, versatile players in this draft class. So uh, I will tell you that, I, again, I have not studied him, but he first popped on my radar uh, just this offseason because one of the things I like to do when I talk to uh, NFL draft prospects is say, who, who's next? Give me an idea of who's coming yeah. down the pipe uh, with your team. And so uh, Oso Digizua, who ended up being a uh, third-round pick of the Giants here this spring, uh, he came on the show back in March, and he said uh, like, the guy that was poised to make the big jump this fall was Quantrez Knight. And he said he was a player uh, as soon as they started practicing – he was in the box a lot as a blitzer. Uh, he always brought his hardest every single day of practice, relentless energy. Guys fed off him and the plays that he made in a practice environment, and he made the game environment more fun. So like that uh, yeah. kind of infectious personality was something that stood out. So I'm interested to get your thoughts. Number one, how did he first pop on your radar? And then uh, give us the scouting report on how, on how you project him moving to the NFL. Yeah, I remember, I think it was the Cal game uh, in 2020 where I think he had like a tackle for a loss, a pass breakup, but he plays that kind of, he'll play some safety, he'll play nickel, um, he'll be in the box, he'll work vertically. And I think it was that game, I think it was that game that he really was like, this guy is going to find a role in the NFL, right? It's one of those players you watch right away and you're like, I'm not sure what his grade is, I'll figure that out later, but I know he's going to be a player in the NFL for for more than a few years. And then this offseason, talking with that UCLA staff, they raved about him, first off, as a leader and as a person, which it sounds like you kind of heard the same thing. And yep. when you kind of hear that for a guy, you watch him on film, you're like, he's going to be an NFL player. Then you hear the background, the character, the leadership stuff. That's what gets you excited as an evaluator to say, hey, I can put my name next to this guy and be really confident. And then you watch him more, especially this year so far, and even 2020, he breaks down very well in the box, the run defender. He's a very sound tackler. He's explosive upfield. They can get through traffic without losing balance, right? He's a, he's a lighter safety, but he can get through fullbacks in the perimeter, tight ends, work around offensive linemen in space as a run defender. Very twitchy and explosive and can adjust for blockers well in the box and, and again, scrape to the outside and not be a liability in the box. And then as you go downfield, he's able to be a really short and mid-range effective 
cover man against slot corners, against slot receivers, against uh, in zone coverage as well, too. I think he's very aggressive with his hands uh, as, a, as a cover man as well, too. So kind of a complete nickel safety player who I think you do a lot of things for NFL defense. So I have one follow-up question just about the safety position in general because, yeah. um, you know, obviously we talk about all the hybrid players on offense and positionless players. That bleeds over to defense. When you look at the separating factors, what is it that makes uh, the great safety, the impactful safety in the NFL versus a guy that's a solid starter, an average starter that you would say is like a replacement-level player? What do you think are the separating factors between those two tiers at that position? I think in today's NFL, the, the obvious one, but it goes need to be said is versatility, right? Defenses want to change and not switch whole period. You know, if a guy motions across the line of scrimmage in, in 10 years ago, would have changed a whole defensive structure. Now you're able to go from free to strong safety just based off one or two motions or quick changes by the quarterback. So the Quantris can do that. He's big enough to play a strong safety, play in the box. He can play in the nickel. He can work vertically. He has the hip turn to work vertically as well, too. So. I think versatility is most important, but but I like for a guy like Quantrez, who's going to play a lot in that mid-range and in run defending, is eye discipline matched with balance and explosiveness, right? So he's able to kind of read the play and, and work against those jet sweeps, work against reverses, work against outside zone, guys cutting back inside, and able to stay balanced, but also explosive, right? He's not going to be a guy who's a third-level player. He can be a second-level player and, and stop a a 20-yard run to be a five-yard run, but he's also not going to give up a play on the backside or lose a cutback rotations either. So I think a guy who can be versatile and still be an effective run defender is super valuable for today's NFL because as teams want to go more five DBs and, and, and four two five as a base, you got to have DBs, especially safeties who can come up and be basically linebackers and run defense. I think Quantrez can do that. Uh, especially with the the increase in two split safety systems. We're seeing more uh, yeah. the, the quarters looks around the NFL. I think that that interchangeable safety tandem more and more and more valuable. And obviously with big nickel as well. So uh, no, yep. that, that's a great point by you. You could follow Eric at Eric Galco on Twitter. Again, uh, the director of football operations and player personnel at the shrine bowl. Eric will be here every single week uh, during the college football season. Eric, thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you next week. The Philadelphia Eagles and New Era introduced the Fly Collection, an elevated, boldly branded apparel capsule with streetwear appeal that's different from your standard Eagles fan gear. The collection sees bold new graphic expressions of the Eagles brand on apparel essentials like hoodies, t-shirts, jackets, and headwear. The designs are kept simple, mixing fresh modern branding alongside bold punches of color available exclusively at all Philadelphia Eagles Pro Shop locations and the team's official online store. Learn more and view the entire capsule at philadelphiaeagles.com slash fly. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, well, time to now turn our attention towards week three of the college football season as I welcome in Ben Fennel. Ben, uh, we had that huge week in week one, a little bit of a lower slate in week two, but we've got some fun matchups here uh, this weekend in college football. Yeah, we're still here in September, so you're getting some interesting uh, out-of-conference games before we get into the full slate of conference play in October. And there's always some unique matchups. Maybe there's an FCS team or two out there or a group of five team playing a Power 5 school. A lot of fun matchups. But you still get some of those cross-divisional in-conference matchups at this time of year, right? And one of the big ones, obviously, Alabama, Florida, down in the SEC, uh, maybe one of the biggest games of the week. And I know that that's the game where you have your matchup to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, these are two teams that didn't play each other in the regular season last year, but only met in the SEC Conference Championship. So they're seeing each other early this year. And while Alabama had their way last year, 
some guys flashed here and there. I thought Kyer Elam had a really good game out at corner. Um, I thought, you know, Zachary Carter up front had a really good game against, you know, Evan Neal and some guys on Alabama's offensive line. So I want to see Florida corner Kyer Elam against John Meshi the third. You know, I think that's one of the more intriguing matchups of the weekend. Uh, Elam had an interception last week against South Florida. Seems like he's really starting to stack some performances. He's a consensus first-round pick that really doesn't get a lot of airwaves or buzz out there. But I think a couple splash plays against Alabama should put him a little bit more on some radars to talk about. And Zachary Carter up front is a really, really interesting player. He's a guy that came to Florida as a defensive end and is now really a little bit of everything. He'll play three tech. He'll slide in some even no shade and sub packages. He'll play stand up off the edge. He's a big, heavy defensive end at about 285 pounds, almost 290 at this point. He is no nonsense. He gave Evan Neal some trouble last year with his size and strength. Yeah, that's going to be a fun matchup uh, down in the trenches. And obviously, as you mentioned, Kyir Elam, uh, one of the you know more premier corners in the country. So, uh, look, a lot of people feel like Alabama are going to win this one running away. I'm of the belief that it's hard to pick against Alabama until they prove that they're willing to be picked against. Uh, but this, this is a really good football team they're going up against here in Florida. We'll see what that quarterback situation looks like, too, because uh, the, the young kid, Anthony Richardson, uh, making some waves. Hopefully he's healthy. We talked about that earlier this week uh, with Dane. For me, I'm going to go out west for mine. Uh, this is going to be an afternoon game, 3.30 Eastern on Fox. Washington State right tackle Abe Lucas against USC defensive end Drake Jackson. We've gotten to see this matchup uh, each of the last two years with Jackson uh, off the edge there for the Trojans. Lucas is a I mean, like slow and steady right tackle all day. He's just a certain kind of player, right? He's a little bit heavy food, uh, heavy footed. Uh, you know, he he's not, um, you know, a guy that you would qualify as like a, a dancing bear, right? But uh, this is a guy who's got the ability to move people, just not asked to do it often in that offense, but going up against Drake Jackson, uh, always going to be one of the best tests he's got on the slate. So that's a big one there for Abe Lucas uh, of Washington State. I will also actually be, te- uh, Ben, at the Temple game uh, this Saturday, Temple hosting Boston College. Unfortunately, no Phil uh, Djokovic uh, here this weekend. He, I believe he broke a bone in his hand, uh, so he will not be playing. But uh, Zay Flowers, the exciting dynamic wide receiver for BC, and then plus that offensive line, uh, Zion Johnson, uh, Alec Lindstrom. They've got they have Ben Petrullo over at right, on the right side. So uh, a lot of players I'll be keeping an eye on here for Temple Boston College as well. You know, going back to that USC matchup, you know, tough loss last week, obviously, and Clay Helton, uh, you know, kind of parting ways with the yep. with the team. You know, Drake Jackson doesn't have a sack in eight, excuse me, seven of his last eight games. Remember, they only played six games last year. His two sacks came in one game, no sacks this year. He's a guy that a lot of scouts are waiting to turn it on. And I think the COVID year last year with the Pac-12 late start, everybody got kind of a free pass. The time is now, Drake Jackson, and they want to turn that up. And I think Washington State, Abe Lucas, is a great, great opportunity to do that. We do see, though, guys at that position where if they've got traits and the production is missing, uh, as we talked about earlier this week with Anthony Patch over on Scout Stories, like the production's missing. It, it makes it a tough eval, but you still see teams willing to pull the trigger there and still take them uh, you know, in the top 50. So uh, Drake Jackson certainly might be a guy that will kind of fall into that bucket. Uh, let's go now into a player who could really help himself. Who's got the most to gain here this week? I'll come to you first. All right, so Nevada only plays two Power 5 teams this year. They beat Cal in week one. They play Kansas State this week. I want to see Nevada right tackle Aaron Frost murder this defensive end that had three sacks against Southern Illinois. 
last week. So I'm just excited for Carson Strong, Aaron Frost, that whole Nevada offense to capitalize again against a Power 5 opponent this week, Kansas State. But, Fran, we got to talk about Penn State-Auburn. And we could talk about this matchup for probably an hour because there's really intriguing battles on each side of the ball. Penn State receiver Jahan Dotson going up against these SEC press corners, Roger McCreary, Nehemiah Pritchett. You can't get away from them. There's press speed on both sides of the formation. It's going to be a really interesting battle and might be Jahan Dotson's toughest test of the season uh, as far as facing true NFL speed and press corner pedigree over him. And the other side of the ball, Fran, those Penn State linebackers, Jesse Jaquetta, Brandon Smith, really fun players, tackling machines. You got big tank Bigsby on the other side for Auburn. I want to see if they can bring this guy down. There's has not been a tougher running back to bring down to the ground than Tank Bigsby living up to his name. I want to see if these linebackers are going to be the first ones to really put their face on this kid and drag him to the ground. So I think it's a battle of a lot of NFL prospects in this game, a rare Auburn Penn State matchup. Really fun. Yeah, uh, Ross and I will be picking this this game in the next segment, so I don't want to give away too many of my thoughts here. Uh, I mean, in this we, we one, can talk Arnold, Arnold Levicady against yep. you know Brodarius Ham. There's matchups all over the place here. Yeah, no question. And you know how it is too. Like uh, because these really fun out of conference games happen early in the season, they're obviously the first tapes that arrive uh, with NFL teams, and so it's a, a really the, these games. I don't want to say they get weighed more. But some of those first impressions for some of these general managers that get their eyes on these players early, uh, these are, these can be big uh, for these players. So that's certainly something to take into account. Another big one for me, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the Nevada uh, right tackle going up against Kansas State. Good opportunity here with Cincinnati going up against Indiana. So going up against a power five squad. Uh, so for me, I'm going to look at Desmond Ritter. We've seen some of these quarterbacks, uh, you know, the, the big name, big names at the position. Some of them have had some really impressive starts of the year. Some of them not so much. So there's definitely ground to be gained here for some of these quarterbacks. And so if Desmond Ritter can come out against a power five defense with NFL prospects, by the way, I know you've talked about Micah McFadden at linebacker. You and I both like uh, Taiwan Mullen, the corner there for the Hoosiers. If Desmond Ritter can come out and have a really good performance against uh, this big 10 defense, I think that will go a long way towards kind of creating some buzz here early on in the season. Yeah, it's a fun matchup. Two kind of Midwest teams that don't see each other very often in Cincinnati and Indiana. But Cincinnati has a very veteran team. And I know on the other side of the ball, I mean, Majay Sanders, a lot of defensive prospects out there. Uh, What's the corner's name? Is it Kobe Bryant? Yep. uh, Out on the outside. So a lot of the scouts are going to go right to power five opponents anytime you have a group of five team. Yeah, it's a, a big opportunity for the Bearcats for, uh, for certain. Let's go now to some games that will be happening later in the slate. So this is our prospects after dark start time, 8 p.m. or later. For me, I'm going to go out west to Fresno State, UCLA. A couple of running backs here in this one. This is a late game, 1045 start on Pac-12 Network. Uh, we know about the hot start UCLA has had. Fresno State, they've had a frisky start as well. They need, they, they nearly beat Oregon a couple weeks ago, uh, came within a touchdown in that one. But both squads have impressive running backs. Charbonnet is off to a red-hot start for the Bruins and Chip Kelly. Ronnie Rivers from Fresno, uh, the fifth-year senior. Keep an eye on this kid both in the run game and in the pass game. So I think both those running backs worth the price of admission uh, if you're browsing the uh, browsing the dial here late at night on Saturday. Yeah, and I saw a matchup late here, Fran, that I thought was a rivalry matchup. You had Arizona State, BYU, late matchup. They're both ranked. And then I dug into the matchup. They haven't played since 1998. 
they used to be rivals in the old conferences in the yep. 60s, 70s, 80s, and then they parted ways there uh, in the late 90s. But they're both ranked, and there's prospects on both sides. So BYU running back Tyler Algier, 5'11", 225, an absolute bowling ball. Man, Zach Wilson last season stole the thunder. This guy had 1,100 yards and 13 touchdowns, and they ran the heck out of the ball at BYU. Behind that O-line you love. Yep. That, was, that was a run-based offense, but Zach Wilson, obviously meteoric rise to the second overall pick. He got a lot of the credit. Arizona State, great defense. Safety Evan Fields, linebacker Merlin Robertson, some really intriguing guys up front. Ranked versus ranked. If you, uh, you know, you're out on Saturday and you get home late, put on this game. This is big boy football out there. All right, let's call your shot here, Ben. I need I need a big name or a big game from a prospect this week uh, with a short profile. Okay, this is risky here. This is real risky because this is a tough matchup for this guy. We got South Carolina against Georgia in the thick of SEC play. I love South Carolina edge rusher Kingsley Anabare. He had seven pressures and a sack last week. It things like things are picking up for him. He's got Georgia though, Fran. Pretty good offensive line. Jameer Slayer on the outside and bunch of dogs on the inside. I'm going to say Kingsley Anabar has a huge game. I think he's going to stack performances here and have double-digit sacks against the Georgia Bulldogs offensive line. It's tough to do. They run the ball a lot. He only drops back maybe you know 16 to 24 times a game if it's JT Daniels or Stetson Bennett, whoever's that quarterback. But Kingsley Anabar, I think he's going to make a splash this week with double-digit sacks against the Georgia O-line. So you're calling for a South Carolina Excuse upset. Me, not double-digit sacks, but multiple sacks. Multiple double sacks. Digit double sacks digit. Would, that would be impressive. <laughs> well, you're calling for an Israel Mukawabu performance here from Eric Barra. He had the three picks against Georgia in that upset a couple of years ago, and they were big. They were big-time underdogs uh, in that game. Much like I think it's like something like 30 points here uh, for Georgia. Um, so you, you kind of like uh, like the Bulldogs overall, but Eric Barra uh, that would benefit him. And, and don't forget too. On the other side, you've got Jordan Strawn, the undersized pass rusher uh, who led the country in sacks a year ago. So some exciting uh, teeth off the edge here for the Gamecocks in this one against Georgia. And while Mukawamu had those three picks that game, while they upset number one Georgia that week and Jake Fromm, Javon Kinlaw, that was a big coming out party for yeah. him. He was, he was up Jake Fromm's butt all day. So this yeah, Georgia line is certainly not sleeping on some of these uh, uh, South Carolina Gamecock uh, pass rushers. All right, so I went for mine. I went to another group of five versus power five matchup here. Boise State taking on Oklahoma State, 9 o'clock on FS1. I like Boise State's Cleo Shakir, and I'm going to break him down a little bit when we get into next week's episode with Dane. Um, but this guy has legit ability to be a deep threat in the NFL. Take the top off the defense. He can make plays with the ball in his hands. Going up against a Big 12 secondary, uh, this might be a good opportunity here for him to make some plays down the field and kind of get on the national radar a little bit. So keep an eye out for Khalil Shakir, senior wide receiver for the Boise State Broncos, catching passes from Hank Bachmeyer, which you did this game, Hank Bachmeyer's debut back in 2019. Uh, Fran, they beat the heck out of this kid in 2019. Really fun game, though. But Khalil Shakur, he's a fun receiver. He's a three-level threat. He catches everything, yards after catch threat. They'll just give him handoffs in the backfield with jet sweeps and some end arounds because he's that dynamic of a player. He's a guy where it seems like Boise State always has some intriguing receiver option, whether it's our own Giant Hightower, whether it was what was it Cedric Wilson a couple years before that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Dallas Cowboys. Cedric Wilson, uh, Titus yeah. Young. Yeah, it seems like Boise always has some intriguing 5'11", 185-pound kind of gadget receiver with a lot of speed. 
Yeah, they always they always have find a way to get some speed in that offense. Uh, let's go now to our comparison chat. We're using an NFL comp here to talk about a, a player taking the field here this weekend. You talked about the the trenches with South Carolina, Georgia, but you talked about it with South Carolina's defensive line. I'm going to go over to Georgia's defensive front, and they've got uh, guys all over the place with that group. Devontae Wyatt, senior for the Bulldogs. You've talked about him for a couple of years. I studied him this summer. He kind of reminds me of an Isaiah Bugs, just kind of a, a worker bee defensive lineman, can do a lot of different things for you in terms of lining up in a couple of different techniques. He's like in that 285-pound range. He's played in like the four-eye technique. Uh, he's got some range to him. But I think overall, he's probably more of a role player at the next level. I don't know if he's a consistent uh, impact player, you know, kind of being a disruptor from the interior. But I think this guy could be a solid a contributor for an NFL defensive line. And I think Isaiah Bugs built very similarly at Alabama. So the same defensive scheme for Kirby Smart when he was with the Tide. I think that the body types are very similar. Uh, Devontae Wyatt, Isaiah Bugs feel pretty good about that. He's been, he was a fourth or fifth round pick um, for the, uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I think is now turning into a little bit more of a role player there. Obviously they've got uh, Stefan to and Cam Hayward there. So he's not starting over either of those two guys, but uh, I think Wyatt could have a very similar kind of career trajectory. He's a really good player. And while Aziz Jalari stole a lot of thunder last year with his first step and being a first-round pick, and Jordan Davis is the size of a building, Devontae Wyatt was one of my favorite players in that Georgia front seven. And the way they would use him, Fran, this guy would get after the passer. You could find reps of him standing up, mugging the A-gap in some uh, creative third-down pressure packages. Much more pass game upside than Jordan Davis. He's an active player. He's a good run defender. That's a great call. Devontae Wyatt, 95 Georgia, doesn't get enough credit. But my comparison chat's going to be... University of Houston, I think, is going to have another guy with just a crazy rise of draft boards. We had Peyton Turner last, I mean, last summer. I don't think I knew who Peyton Turner was. Ended up being a first-round pick to the Saints. They have another one, Logan Hall. He's playing that same spot in a similar long-bodied three-tech. So a guy that plays on the inside but really looks like a long defensive end at 6'6", 270 pounds. My comparison, he reminds me, his body type almost identical to William Golston coming out of Michigan State and now with a near eight, 10-year career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Really tall, really angular, really long. And Logan Hall is a fun player. He's got that one-step explosiveness that you want from defensive linemen. Comes off the ball extremely quick, extremely violent, has a devastating arm over swim move, gets in the backfields. He just looks a little awkward because he's so tall. So he deals with some pad level issues. Same thing with William Golson, who came out more as a true defensive end at a Michigan State. What is he now? Pretty much a true three tech. And I think that's going to be Logan Hall as well. A guy with some versatility to play five tech, play three tech. I don't think he's going to shoot into the first rounds like Peyton Turner did. But he's going to fly up boards. He's a guy that was on the freak list over the summer. Our uh, good buddy Bruce Feldman highlighting some of his explosiveness. Jim Nagy tweeted about him in July. So he's a guy that's getting some buzz. Yep. We'll see if he could fill the shoes of Peyton Turner. No question. He, he definitely built some buzz here uh, over the course of the summer. You hear just his name is like always kind of chattered about. And I, you mentioned all the people that have brought him up in the media space. Uh, let's now wrap things up with our mock draft roundup. Where we're going to pick a mock draft over the last week. And again, we're always going to look at who they have the Eagles selecting, but it's really just kind of talking about these prospects and who are people talking about in the first round. And so this week, we're going to go over to Pro Football Focus. Mike Renner uh, put out his first mock draft of the fall. He had the Eagles selecting three times here in round one. So our first time, uh, we've got the Eagles with three first-round picks in this mock draft. He's got the Eagles picking at 7, 18, and 20. So let's go to this first one here. Eagles picking at number 7. 
He's got them getting Oklahoma quarterback Spencer Rattler. Here's the blurb from Mike Renner. Doesn't take too many plays to see how talented Rattler is. The problem is that he's basically playing a different game at Oklahoma than he's ever going to play in the NFL. He gets away with so many bad habits because of Lincoln Riley's offense. Three turnover-worthy plays against Tulane simply will not fly in the league. While Rattler isn't a complete project, it might take his tools a little while to adapt to the NFL game. And I think it's interesting, Ben, that Rattler, you know, we've made some of those comparisons to Patrick Mahomes. They're a little bit different uh, from a like body type standpoint, but in terms of play style and the ways that he can win, very similar. And obviously Mahomes fell down to number 10. Could the same thing happen for Rattler? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of the through and through traits versus execution type of discussions. Yeah. And I think every NFL team, every offensive coordinator, every quarterback coach will have different views on that because he really is a traits-based player. And I think that's what you looked at with Patrick Mahomes to say, well, he doesn't really play well within structure. He really makes some reckless decisions. Can we temper that back? Or would we rather the guy like a Mac Jones where his traits are a little more boring, but he's an assassin with his decision-making. And everybody looks at that differently. So obviously the Kansas City Chiefs are laughing right now and never looking back. But there's been a lot of traits-based quarterbacks that haven't worked out because they don't have the decision-making. They maybe don't have the natural accuracy, you know, within structure and all those things you have to be able to do as primary skill sets in order to get your job done. So he's an exciting player, but it's going to be a really divisive type of selection and a divisive type of prospect because of that. Uh, and you might be listening to this saying like, well, how Rattler going to fall to seven? I mean, he was like the uh, the consensus pick to be the number one guy in most mock drafts. Keep in mind, like, let's let's talk about who's going up ahead of Rattler in this scenario. So let's just go back uh, to Mike's mock. Number one overall, he's got Liberty quarterback Malik Willis going to the Houston Texans. Oregon pass rusher Kayvon Thibodeau to Detroit at number two. Derek Stingley at number three to Cincinnati. Evan Neal, the Alabama tackle to the Jets at four. Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame at five to the Jaguars. And then Christian Harris, the linebacker from Alabama at number six to the Las Vegas Raiders. So those are the six players going up, six talented players going up ahead of Rattler here in the top 10. And if fans may be also thinking off your sentiment of Rattler to seven, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen, right. I mean, this last draft class, the quarterback that was the fastest, that was the most accurate, and could throw the ball through the wall, had the highest velocity, was Justin Fields. And he was the fourth quarterback taken off the board, all the way to 10 to the Chicago Bears. We just had this scenario where a lot of the questions with Fields, decision-making, poise, things like that, pocket play, within structure. He was a traits-based selection. I got news for you. He was the quickest. He had the best arm. He was the most accurate. But is that why he was the fourth overall, or excuse me, the fourth quarterback? No, because he had some deficiencies in other areas. And then go back the year before, who was the guy that was conceived? I probably going to be the number one quarterback as we got into the season. It was Justin Herbert, right? From Oregon, traits-based quarterback, a little bit up and down play, right? He ends up being the third quarterback uh, that year. He falls below two and he falls below Joe Burrow. So again, just because it's in the mock drafts now, Josh Allen, the year before that. And, you know, there's scenarios every year. So it's a really fun conversation and a conversation that's not going away this class or next class. And I don't even know who next class is, but there's always going to be somebody in this kind of bucket. You you know who the next class is. Let's let's let's. You want to talk twenty twenty three quarterbacks? Let's do it. Well, you know, you know, there's this, there's this show Ben on Netflix. It's called QB One. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Uh, they're always highlighting the quarterbacks of the future. Um, 
All right, let's get to these next two picks here because the Eagles have two selections in three picks here, 18 and 20. We'll start with the number 18 pick uh, where Mike has the Eagles selecting Ohio State pass rusher Zach Harrison. Here's the blurb here from Mike. Harrison started his junior campaign off with a bang against Minnesota last Thursday night as his strip sack was a crucial play in the Buckeyes' victory. He's always had the physical ability but looks to be using his hands far more effectively already this season. Now, here are the two players that went off the board just before Zach Harrison, just so we know who the names that are being talked about in this range. Nevada quarterback Carson Strong at number 16 to the Pittsburgh Steelers, 17, Northwestern safety Brandon Joseph to the Dallas Cowboys. So, Ben, uh, take us through. Uh, what do you think here of Zach Harrison and him going in the sneaking into the top 20 here? Yeah, it's interesting uh, pick there. You know, a first-round selection we're not seeing, uh, you know, a consensus on quite yet, but a guy with a lot of tools and a lot of traits, an explosive player that was a – through and through four, four, seven player out of high school, ran a 10, 700 meters, number one player out of high school, five star, just was behind some chase youngs and some very top talent in front of him early in his career. So he really didn't get on the field a whole lot, but you know, when he did get in, particularly, I think it was last year, or the year before he came in some select snaps against Penn state, like back-to-back plays crushed a tight end then had a tackle on a QB draw with flash production, just wasn't a full-time player. So now 2021, he's on the field every snap, and we're starting to see the uh, you know see what he can do out there, particularly in that Minnesota game. Yeah, it's a big year for him because it was definitely like uh, not the what is it? The I always mess this saying up. He's not the sum of his parts, right? You you kind of saw the traits there watching him last year in 2020, but just didn't put it all together. So now hopefully you're starting to see him put it all together here this year. And if he can, then I think you're talking about a guy that goes uh, this high in the draft. The two guys that went right after Zach Harrison, number 19, the New England Patriots select Michigan defensive end Aiden Hutchinson. So you got a bunch of pass rushers going off the board. At number 20, the Eagles select Purdue pass rusher George Karlaftis. So the Eagles go back to back here with a couple defensive ends from the Big Ten. Here's the blurb here from Mike Renner. The double dip at defensive end. Don't put it past general manager Howie Roseman, who is notorious for his desire to build through the trenches. Karlaftis is another versatile defensive end who can drop down to three technique if needed uh, at six foot four, 275 pounds. He has some of the most active hands in the country and stories of his work ethic coming out of Purdue are the stuff of legend. So uh, thoughts here, Ben, you go back to back pass rusher, Zach Harrison and George Karlaftis. Yeah, you know, obviously adding pass rushers and trench players is uh, is a needed, uh, you know, commodity in the NFL. You can't just have one. You need a stable of them and always have to get younger and turning it over. I'm just kind of taking a step back at the full mock here and seeing Zach Harrison go before Aiden Hutchinson and before Carl Aftis. You know, right. I think that's more of an interesting pecking order of edge rushers there that we're really not seeing uh, too often. We both think the world of Hutchinson and Carl Aftis isn't too far behind him. Seems like he's back to his true freshman year form as after kind of a disappointing sophomore campaign. Carl Aftis is a guy we've talked about seemingly ad nauseum for the past couple of weeks on here. Really embodies a Ryan Kerrigan type of player also came out of Purdue, power rusher, a good run defender. Yeah, you want to give me Zach Harrison and Carl Laftis to add to this defensive end stable in here? <laughs> I don't know what the picture looks like in the future with, you know, BG and Barnett and Josh Sweat, but you always got to keep adding talent. And not just talent, you got to keep adding youth to that position group. Sure. Because it's, it's almost like a, you know, a running back type of stable. You want to keep turning it over and keep adding young, explosive players in there and find ways just to get production uh, wherever you can. So Carl Aftis, Harrison, 
I'd be uh, more than okay with it. Oh, no, honestly, all three of those guys, because Hutchinson is wedged in between there, all three of those guys have position versatility. So all these multiple front defensive schemes, really going to like all three of these guys uh, if you like their potential to, to re- be reached at the NFL level. Um, real quick, the two guys that went right after Karlaftis. Uh, at number 21, the LA Chargers took Ohio State wide receiver Garrett Wilson. Number 22, the New Orleans Saints take Washington corner Trent McDuffie. So just to get, again, just kind of keeping a, a gauge of who are the players going off the board in this range. Uh, let's close it out here. One pick in this mock draft that just fun to talk about. You can go positive here. You can go negative. Uh, I'll let you go. I'll let you go first. What's one pick here outside of the ones we've already discussed that uh, kind of got you excited? Well, you know, certain position groups, we like talking about kind of the stable of and the rankings and the narratives of and the linebacker group. Seems like it's all over the place, Fran. I'm having a really tough time figuring out the pecking order. It seems like Christian Harris at Alabama is the most coveted. After that, I have no idea. So it was really interesting to see Nicobe Dean slide in there at a 27th to Miami and sticking with Georgia defenders. He has big Jordan Davis 30th to Buffalo, which Jordan Davis, I thought should have come out last year. He is what he is. He's 6'6", 350. He's an early down nose to tackle run plugger with not a lot of upside in the pass game. And I don't know where that gets you drafted. So we've seen the occasional nose tackles go early and Dexter Lawrence and Danny Shelton. And then we've seen guys like Lecky Fotu, who I thought was the best nose tackle in his class, went in the fourth round. So I think it's really interesting to see where Jordan Davis goes and where the NFL views him versus uh, the media and fans. What's that line of delineation for you, not, not just with Jordan Davis, but at that position? What separates the guys that are going that high versus the guys that are falling into late day, th- late day two, early day three? I've got an answer in my mind. I'd like to hear it from you. But what do you think that that line is for those guys at that position? Well, I just need something else to your resume, whether it's positional versatility, scheme versatility, and then particularly, uh, you know, run pass versatility. If you're a guy that can, you know, contribute on third downs and in sub packages and getting after the passer, that has tremendous value. That's obviously not splitting the atom or anything to fans listening. We we want guys that can play the run and play the pass uh, and are three down players. So I want a guy that has a little bit more upside in the pass game. Yeah, I mean, when you look at even a guy like um, Vita Vea, we are, we were just talking about him after that Thursday night game in week one, Tampa and Dallas. And like uh, thinking back, I was like, man, like I feel like I was probably a little bit too low on Vita Vea. Then I went back and looked at my notes. I was like, oh, I had him in the top 30. Like, all right, I feel pretty good about it. But it, to me, like when you look at guys like that, you're like, oh, it's just a, that's a run stuffing nose tackle. It's like, no, like if you could, if you can have the power to consistently disrupt, you may not be a double digit sack guy, but if you can just always impact the quarterback from that spot, well, now I think you bring some value. And I think that that's what the Giants were hoping for with Dexter Lawrence. We'll see him here in year three this year. When you're looking at those big nose tackles, again, going back to uh, the way that defenses are starting to swing again, more split safety looks. That means you're not playing with the extra safety in the box. You need those defensive linemen and linebackers to be able to hold themselves uh, in the run game. And I, and I think that th- these guys might come a little bit more back in vogue, but you still need to impact the quarterback. And I think that's why a lot of the top flight nose tackles over the last 10, 15 years seemingly came out of nowhere. Like right. Snacks, Snacks Harrison, you know, yep. late round pick, you know, Linval Joseph, kind of yep. a mid round pick type of player. And it's players that the media and your fantasy teams don't really care about, but the NFL really values, whether it's Daniel McCullers or, you know, Steve McClendon, those types that are are so tough to play against. It's a bit of a dying breed, that odd front nose tackle, but there's value there. Um, you know, I'm trying to think who was playing for the Buccaneers. I think Steve McClendon is on their second unit. Yeah, guy like Ray, Rayquan Davis, sure. know, coming out of Alabama, really productive, strong player 
He ended up being a day three pick and is now a starter for the Dolphins. Yep. You know, that's just the trajectory of these types of players. I agree. I agree. It's uh, certainly one of the more fun ones to discuss. And I think we have these preconceived notions about the value of these players, but just keep an eye on if that starts to change here in the coming years. Uh, Well, Ben, this is fun as always. We'll be back with you early next week, breaking down what we see in week three. Talk to you next week. Now it's time for pick six. We're back for another week of pick six is my buddy, Ross Tucker. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL. Ross, tough week for you, man. I fell for you. I was watching Toledo, Notre Dame. And as soon as Michael Mayer crosses the goal line, I said, he was so close uh, to getting our first upset special. Dude, we have been on fire though with these because three of our four upset picks so far in college football have come within a touchdown. Like we've been very, very close uh, to predicting some of these, but uh, we had had a two game swing uh, this week overall in the pick. So I overtook you. I've got a one game lead, but I felt for you, man, on that Notre Dame game. I was so excited. Your (laughs) upset pick of ball state was terrible. They got destroyed by Penn state. I was literally driving back from the army Western Kentucky game, listening to the Notre Dame game rooting for Toledo. I don't really care, but I want my picks to be right on this show. I want to beat you on this show. It stinks. <laughs> well, like I said, our, our upset picks have been very close for the most part. Our only like really bad one was that Ball State pick by me uh, last week. That said, uh, let's get into this week's picks, man. we got a bunch of really good games here. And we'll start with a ranked matchup out in the desert, out in the Midwest, or on the, uh, the, on the West Coast. A pick them here. Straight pick them. Who wins? BYU versus Arizona State, and why? This is the first-ranked matchup at Lavelle Edwards Stadium since 2009, Ross. So a couple of years. It's been a while now uh, since BYU has hosted another ranked team. Ranked team. Uh, thoughts here on how this game goes? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Arizona State. Um, I've gone back and forth on this one yeah. because of, you know, where the game will be. I, you know, and I know people really like BYU's quarterback, they, they lost a lot, man. They lost yeah. a lot on the O-line. They lost the number two overall pick in the draft in Zach Wilson. And I just think Arizona State has more overall team speed. I think they've recruited better the last few years under Herm Edwards. I'll take the Sun Devils in a close one. Uh, I, you, you really like this BYU offense. You know, Jaron Hall leading the way as the new quarterback. Uh, Algier, the running back, I think he's got some ability for sure. But I'm going to go Arizona State here as well. Uh, that Sun Devil, Sun Devil offense is putting up points in bunches. Rashad White has been a really explosive player for them out of the backfield. So uh, I would keep an eye here on Arizona State. I think you, I'm on the same side as you here. Uh, I will also take ASU. Let's go to our next one here, big one. College game day, on-site, in-state college, Penn State. And Auburn, straight pick them here, Ross. Who do you like here? Yeah, I'm going Penn State. Um, I got to tell you, they're they're playing better on both sides of the ball than I anticipated. I did not think that they would beat Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I did not think that they would dominate Ball State. You know, there's a weird thing with James Franklin where it's like the years when their expectations are the highest, they disappoint. And the years when people aren't expecting as much from them – they exceed those expectations. And that's what they're doing so far this year. They're, they've got some guys playing so much better. Ellis Brooks, Jesse Lucada. I mean, they got a bunch of guys playing so much better than they ever have before. The offensive line's playing pretty well. Clifford's playing a lot better than he did last year. 
That place is going to be bonkers yes. Saturday night. Yeah. And I know that Bo Nix and Alabama and Auburn, excuse me, have played in some, you know, big time atmospheres at LSU, at a lot of these places. That, I mean, those people are going to come unhinged Saturday night. I truly believe that it's the best football atmosphere, period. I've been to a couple of them. It's hard to describe. It's like the lighting on the white shirts everybody wears with the green grass. And Penn State Stadium, ask anybody, it looks the biggest because unlike Michigan that kind of goes out slowly, Penn State goes like straight up. Yeah, Penn State's like a giant erector set that just goes straight up. And I think that combined with the fact that I think Penn State's battle-tested from that Wisconsin game. They've played against a big game already. Auburn hasn't played anybody yet. I like their coach, Harson. I like some of the things they're doing. This will be a test for Penn State, but I think they're going to get it done at home. They very rarely lose whiteout games. Very rarely. So I've got two questions for you because I also am going to take Penn State. So we're a little boring here. We're both on the same side on the first two pickups. But two things. I think that this game comes down to Auburn's run game where you know they've got two really impressive underclassmen backs versus this Penn State run defense. Did you feel like that was the matchup that kind of can be the turning point, the tipping point here uh, for these two teams? Totally agree. Um, and it's interesting because Wisconsin did have some productivity running the ball against Penn State in week one. They showed you can run on them, but they just bogged down when they got in the red zone. Yep. So I think Auburn will have some success running the football, but whether or not they're able to score in the red zone, score touchdowns is a different deal. You know, Penn State's got a bunch of pros on defense. I mean, Jaquan Brisker's a pro. Both their corners, Castro Fields and Joey Porter Jr. will play at the next level. Brandon Smith will play at the next level. Ebikite and Mustafer will play at the next level. I don't yeah. know how high these guys all get drafted, but they it's got a good defense. Yeah. NFL players on the defensive side of the ball. Last question for this game. With the news out West earlier this week that the USC was parting ways with Clay Helton, uh, a lot of the early buzz was James Franklin uh, could be involved with that job at some point in the future. And he's already been asked about it at press conferences this week. Do you feel like that could be something that uh, could be a little bit of a distraction here for this team as they prepare for this game? That is interesting. Um, I don't think so. I think he's probably pretty good at handling that yeah. and making sure it's not a distraction. It feels like this is like the fifth time that that's come up yeah. since, you know, I, I feel like the USC job and Franklin's name have been circled around so many times. That would surprise me. I think there are other guys that would rather have that job than him, but uh, I think he understands leverage. I think he understands that it doesn't hurt his situation at Penn State for people to know that schools like USC are interested. All right. Well, it'll be interesting. And certainly one of the biggest games of the weekend. Let's get into the rest of our picks here. Over under. We got Oklahoma. They've got eight sacks as a team over two games. We talked a lot about that defense over the first uh, couple of weeks here on the pod. Over under five and a half sacks this week against Nebraska. It's the big noon kickoff game on Fox, 12 p.m. Eastern. Who do you like here? Oklahoma. Eight sacks as a team over two games. I'm setting the over-under five and a half sacks against the Huskers. I'm going to go under. 
Uh, that's a lot of sacks. That's a lot of sacks, I mean, man. That's a lot of sacks. Yeah, they've got eight and two games against lesser opponents, I would say, than Nebraska. Although I did not like what I saw from Nebraska's O line against Illinois. I, I was, I mean, this is Nebraska. Yeah. You know, what has happened to their offensive line? I don't care, though. I'm still taking, uh, I'm still going to end up taking the under. That's a five and a half sacks is a lot. You give up four or five sacks, you're disappointed. I'll take the under on five and a half. Oh, I've, I, the way I looked at it was all right, that they've had four, they've had four game over the last two. We'll bump it up a little bit considering how the Huskers O line has played. You figure Martinez is a guy that'll run around back there. For our listeners, remember runs by the quarterback behind the line of scrimmage. Those go down as sacks in college football. Whew, I, I'm taking the over. I, I like this front. And we talked about Isaiah Thomas and Nick Benito and the rest of the, you know, Perry and Rinf, Winfrey and the rest of that, that Sooners front. Uh, I will take the over here on Oklahoma. Let's go now to our either war. Looking at this Purdue Notre Dame game, uh, a little spicy. Uh, I like this one here. Purdue, who's got more catches? Purdue star receiver David Bell or the upstart receiver for Notre Dame, Kevin Austin. So far through a couple games. David Bell's got 14 for, for 255 and three touchdowns. Kevin Austin's got eight for 154 and one. But just in this game, who's got more catches, Ross? David Bell. David Bell's a stud. Target high. I remember watching yeah. his high school video mm. when he almost went to Penn State. I think Purdue probably, you know, obviously it, it, this will be tough for them to beat Notre Dame, even though yeah. Toledo almost did. I just think there's more of a chance that Notre Dame runs the ball more and also more of a chance that Purdue's trailing late in the game and David Bell racks up a bunch of yards there. I know Austin's been impressive so far, but I, I got to go David Bell. Yeah, I went Bell as well. He's a he's a good player, though, man. Just your impressions of impressions of him, uh, watching him early in his career. I mean, did that stuff kind of carry over to what you've seen a couple of years into his career? Yes, I do. I think he's a pro. Um, you know, even when Ron- Rondell Moore was there, I thought David Bell became more of their go-to yeah. guy. Yep. He's very impressive. And, you know, I'll give Brom a lot of credit. He does a good job of feeding him. All right, let's go to our next one here. Our high-low. Which number is higher? Total tackles from the Alabama stud middle linebackers Christian Harris and Henry Toa Toa. So total, t- total tackles from both guys combined. Or Alabama's margin of victory over the Florida Gators. Uh, I'm sure you've got some kind of recruiting story about Harris or Toa Toa, but uh, thoughts on this one here. Which one's the, which number's higher? Um, I'm going to go with Alabama margin of victory. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I guess I'll believe that someone can hang. I know. Yep. With Alabama when I see it. Florida lost a lot. You know, it's just weird, isn't it, Fran, that like, Florida can lose Kyle Pitts and Trask and Kadarius Tony, and they take a little bit of a step back. It's really only Alabama, maybe Clemson to some extent, maybe Ohio State to some extent, that can lose a lot of guys and not take any step back. But Florida's – it's interesting that I think Alabama can win by double digits, and I'm not sure Harris and Toto get there. I mean, like Alabama lost so much on offense, so much on defense, and it's still just blowing people out of the water. Uh, I find it hard to believe that they, you know, that a team can right now stay within a couple touchdowns uh, of this team at the way that they're playing this early in the season. All right, let's go to our upset specials here. One big upset to win, Ross. Who do you like here straight up? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple I could have gone with. I kind of yeah. like Fresno State. I, I, I thought you might take them, yeah. 
Yeah, I like Fresno State a lot as a team over UCLA. But the one that just jumped out to me, even after what happened last week, is Toledo. No question. That was mine. Over Colorado State. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't understand it. Colorado State is not good. They just lost to South Dakota State a couple weeks ago. I, I don't understand um, whoever, you know, made Toledo a big underdog. I would be fascinated to hear the conversation or the logic why. Toledo, I think if I think if ta- Toledo and Colorado State played 77 times, I think Toledo would win. The majority of them, but doesn't that make you? Does, does that make you worry that this is a sucker's uh, a sucker's gambit here? Maybe I think that they're taking into account the fact that Toledo's on the road again, and that you know they just had that tough heartbreak loss. hotel against Notre Dame. Yeah, but I think it actually just reinvigorates that more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, I, went, I went with the same game. We, we ended up on the same side of the ledger here a couple times, but uh, it's good. it should be another fun weekend here in college football. Ross, we'll be breaking it down with you right here on Pick Six next week on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Make sure everybody goes check out goes to check out Ross over on Twitter on all of his podcasts, Ross Tucker Football Network. Uh, Ross, thanks so much for joining us once again. Sounds great, Fran. Can't wait. I love following this stuff. So great stuff there from Ross, from Ben, from Eric. From Chad, I mean, just four awesome guests once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We'll be back in the early part of next week. Myself, Ben Fennell, and Dane Brugler breaking down everything we see in college football this weekend, not to mention another visit from a current Eagle scout. You do not want to miss that. It's one of my favorite segments every week. Scout stories. That'll be early next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.